0: You're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Galveston Bible Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit galvestonbible.org. But mostly, from wherever you're listening, we hope that the Lord ministers to you through this week's message. Praise God that our Redeemer lives. As always, what I like to do is I like to provide these little green sheets for you. These are the scripture references that we're going to be looking at today. If you haven't gotten one, Feel free to get up right now. They should be on the middle table right there. Uh, Grab one. Those are the scripture references. I'm going to encourage you. Matthew 28 is going to be probably the only one I'm going to ask you to turn to today. I just want you to listen uh, to uh, what God has to say today. So we are going to be in Matthew 28. So if you want to turn there now, you can do that. (coughs) And as you are doing so, I want to ask you a question, and I'm not looking for a show of hands, I'm not looking for any uh, audible response, it's just a thought question. And that question is this, how many of you sometime this week had some form of fear, some form of anxiety, some form of, 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 of worry? I'd imagine that it's nearly all of us, a lot of people, Um, There's a lot of things in this world that we fear. There's a lot of things that cause anxiety and worry. As I was thinking about this this past week, I I, I could be wrong, but it seemed like everything fell into two main categories uh, for fear the fear of the unknown and the fear of judgment. The unknown could involve things like uh, maybe you're young and in college and you don't know where you're going to be in five to ten years. Uh, You know that you're not at the head of your class. Um, Maybe you're wondering if you're even going to be able to graduate from high school or college. Or if you do, am I going to be able to find a job in this economy? So uh, the fear of the unknown. For others, the unknown might be a medical diagnosis, right? And And you're wondering, how will this diagnosis affect my life? How will it affect my goals? How will it affect my family? Um, uh, What will it look like when this disease progresses? How many uh, quality years of life do I have left? The the fear of the unknown um, can grip some people. We fear the unknown. I believe that also we fear judgment and when I say judgment I'm not talking about the eternal judgment of God although that is something uh, that everyone should fear right Uh, that's a very serious thing. I'm talking about the day-to-day judgment that goes on regarding things like our appearance and things like our performance. Uh, Some are very conscious about the way that they look right my nose or my ears are too big, right? I'm too fat, I'm too thin. Um, I, I, I don't like the shape of my body or I got hair growing out of areas that hair should not be growing out of, right? And you start to become very self-conscious about you know, the way that you look, right? And you're afraid that people are going to uh, make fun of your appearance. Or some may fear their performance, right? Uh, whether that be at work or socially, Okay, Uh, the fear that you will not measure up. The fear that you will be compared to other people, whether in school or on the job, and you in the end will be found lacking, which may mean that you don't get that promotion, which may mean that you actually do lose your job. The fear of not being able to perform. Uh, Fear also could be fear of uh, just social situations, right? Uh, Maybe fear of saying something stupid in public uh, and thus resulting in being mocked or ridiculed. Uh, Most importantly regarding these things, uh, I would imagine that uh, the reason that most Christians don't share their faith uh, is because they're worried about what others may think of them what their friends or their family or their coworkers might think of them. Uh, they're going to think differently of them. They're going to think that they're a Jesus freak or something like that. Uh, they're going to think that they're um, intolerant, that they're narrow-minded, and maybe be ostracized as a result of that, maybe be judged and then rejected. So it's better to just keep quiet. It's better not to create waves and possibly invite ridicule. I heard uh, from a pastor years ago that there are 365 fear knots in the Bible, uh, one for every day of the year. I've never counted them up, so I don't know if that's true. Don't mark my words on that one. Um, I do know that there are a lot of them. We're gonna be looking at some of those today. And the reason is clear, I hope you see, is because you and I are tempted to fear. We're tempted to worry, we're tempted to be anxious. And God knows that. God knows that in our current fallen, even redeemed states that we are prone to fear what we shouldn't. So the big question is, how in the world do we overcome fear? How do we overcome anxiety? And I believe that the answer is found in the resurrection story. Uh, so let's read that now. And as I do, I want you to listen for words like fear and be afraid okay Uh, so Matthew chapter 28 this is the very word of God Jesus was crucified in Matthew chapter 27 he was dead he was buried not the end of the story it says this now after the Sabbath towards the dawn of the first day of the week Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb and behold There was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow, and for fear of him the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. For he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before them, uh, before you into Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. And Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Skipping down to verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. This ends the reading of God's word. Let's look to him for guidance. Father, we thank you for your holy, holy word. We thank you for the power that it has, the power to bring salvation, the power to bring comfort in the midst of turmoil. And I just pray that you would speak to us today, Holy Spirit, open our ears to hear, open our eyes to see, And I pray that you would dispel all fear. We know that the enemy is alive and well, loves to kill, steal, and destroy, loves to create anxiety in us. And I pray that we as your people would know our God. And we just pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So four times in this passage, we have the word fear and be afraid. The fear seems to be concentrated around the appearance of this angelic being, and the appearance of Jesus. And I was thinking about this, a lot of times we read this story, but can you imagine what it must have been like when this angel that looks like lightning comes down and the earth is shaking? That would have been absolutely terrifying. We're sitting in a comfortable place right now, right? And we're reading this story, but how terrifying that must have been. So terrifying that these trained elite, Roman soldiers trembled with fear and then became like dead men. It appears that they fainted. And yet, these common Jewish women didn't faint. They didn't faint. Why is that? How in the world can this be? They were certainly afraid, right? Here's uh, Here's why I think... They didn't fear. There was a difference between these two groups. And the difference was regarding relationship status. The difference was in the relationship. The guards had no relationship with the risen Lord. None whatsoever. But these women did. You saw how the angels greeted them, right? They said, I know who you're looking for. I know who you're seeking. The women, no doubt, were terrified to see Jesus alive, right? I mean, um, just a few days earlier, they had literally seen what they did to him. They had seen that they beat him to a bloody pulp. They had seen that they nailed him to a cross. They saw his lifeless body taken off of that cross and then put in a tomb. They saw that all. I know, I was thinking about this, I know that uh, if Three days after my dad's funeral, I was there cleaning out his house, and he walked through the front door. I would be like, whoa, what in the world is going on, right? There had to be some fear, some terror. But the difference, once again, is that the guards in this story were against Jesus and therefore had every right to be afraid. But the women were with him and therefore had nothing to fear from him or his angelic beings, who were there to minister to them who were to inherit salvation. There was nothing that they needed to fear. I'm going to cut right to the main point of this sermon today, and that is this. The key to overcoming fear is relationships. The key to overcoming the fear in your life, the anxiety in your life, the worry in your life, the key is found in relationship. It is knowing who is on your side. It is knowing who is for you and with you. In this case, it just happens to be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Trinity is with you the Holy uh, the Holy Trinity is for you in fact in Romans eight thirty one, Paul asks the all-important question and I love it if God is for us then who can be against us if God is for us who can be against us I hope you know the answer the answer is absolutely nobody and what he is saying is every time you're tempted to worry who's for me? Oh God is for me. I have nothing to worry about. God was for these women and so nothing, absolutely nothing could be against them and they had nothing to fear. Later on in the chapter what we see is that God is for the disciples. He's for uh, the 11 remaining disciples and so even though they were hiding they also had nothing to fear. Well, why were they hiding? Well, they were hiding because they had seen their Lord and Master taken by force, tried, convicted, put to death, and then buried. And there was no doubt in their mind that now the religious leaders who were responsible for this were going to come after them and snuff out any remaining, you know, remnants of this new uprising. They were "We're coming after you next. And so there they are, they're hiding in fear what they seem to have forgotten is everything that their lord and master did in his life right the thousands of healings Right, the the raising of the dead the calming of storms and just about four days earlier when the 500 roman soldiers came into the garden to arrest jesus and jesus said who are you seeking And they said, Jesus of Nazareth, and at his name, all 500 of them fell back as dead men. All 500. They seem to have forgotten that. They forgot all this. They were afraid, so they were hiding. But now, the one whom they never thought they would see again shows up at their door, right, with a mission for them. The mission that he had begun of bringing salvation to the world they would now continue to the ends of the world would that mission be easy not a chance not a chance in fact during his earthly ministry jesus warned his followers that because of him they would be vehemently opposed every step of the way every step of the way just like he was just four chapters earlier, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 9, Jesus said this. This is Jesus' recruiting strategy, okay? He says this, Then you will be delivered up to tribulation, and, put, and, and they'll put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. They're going to deliver you up. They're going to kill you. You're going to be hated by all nations, Because of me. And then in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, Jesus said this Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in the synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my name's sake to bear witness before them. And the Gentiles. And skipping down to verse 21: brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father, his child, and the children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. And in verse 25, he says this: if they called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more. Will they malign those of his household? Jesus' point is not going to be easy. They could expect opposition all along the way. If you were to go into the book of Acts, you would see that Jesus was right. They were opposed every step of the way, thrown in prison, stoned to death, cast out of cities, fearing for their lives every moment, every day. They were cast out. If you were to look into church history, you would see the same thing. You would see hatred for the people of God. Persecution, death. And yet Jesus told them to go make disciples of all nations and don't be afraid. Really? (laughs) You just told us all this stuff and you say, don't be afraid. How in the world is this possible? Well, I believe it's possible because of two phrases here in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and 20, that these two phrases, when combined together, properly understood and embraced, can and should eliminate all fear of men and fear of the unknown as well. Those phrases are first when Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he said this, I am with you always. I am with you always. I'm going to tell you right now note and meditate on those pronouns me and you. Me and you. All authority has been given to me, and I am with you. How can we go out in the midst of such opposition and not be afraid? Because Jesus, who has all authority in heaven and earth, is with us. Why can we speak with boldness? Because Jesus, who has all authority in heaven and earth, is with us. So you might ask, who 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 is Jesus and why does he make any difference? Well, as we said before, he's the one in this passage who has immediately just conquered death. He went in one end of the grave and came out the other. That, people, is amazing, okay? That is amazing, amazing power. And as we said before, he healed the sick. He raised the dead. He stopped storms. He turned water into wine. And he knocked over 500 Roman soldiers, just to name a few things that he has done. Because of that person... Because that person is with us, we have nothing, absolutely nothing to fear. He goes before us to clear the way. He stands behind us so that we're not taken off guard. He is all around us. His powerful heavenly angels have also been given charge of us to care for us and minister to us. We have absolutely nothing to fear because he is with us always. You have no reason to fear what that neighbor or that fellow classmate may think of you if you share your faith with them. You have no reason to fear what that boss or that professor uh, who threatens you, your job, or your livelihood. You have nothing to fear because Jesus is with you. You you can stand as firm as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did when they were told to bow to an ungodly cultural mandate. We set up this false god. Everyone, I don't care who you are, everyone will worship it. Everyone will bow down. This is a cultural mandate. This is the law of the land. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said... We will not. And here's what they said. They said, Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us out of the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And if you know the story The story is that God did not prevent them from being thrown into the fiery furnace. He just joined them in the fiery furnace, right? Because Nebuchadnezzar looked and said, didn't I throw three in there? How come there's four in there and they're all walking around and the fourth looks like one of the sons of the gods. God joined them in the fiery furnace. The book of Daniel, where this story is recorded, later declares this, and I love this, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. The people who know their gods. Did you hear what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said earlier? They said, the God whom we serve, we've been serving him, we know him, we know that he's able to deliver us, And even if he doesn't, he's been so good to us, we will not, we will not bow down to your cultural mandate. We won't do it because it goes against our God. I just want to say this. We live in an increasingly uh, evil world. The kingdom of darkness seems to be expanding. We as Christians have been given marching orders to take God's powerful message of salvation to the world, knowing That Jesus is with us always encouraging us and empowering us we cannot let fear slow us down you and I please realize this you and I as Christians have resurrection power working in and through us the same incredible immense power that raised Jesus from the dead is now present in us there is nothing that we cannot do and I just have to stop right now and I have to ask you this I have to ask do you believe this do you believe this do you really really believe this I know cognitively yes I hear this stuff all the time but do you really believe this in your heart of hearts do you understand this what would it look like if we truly did believe this how would that change things this is all this is why we all need to read these truths and not just read them and not just hear them once a week but we need to meditate on them we need to get alone with God daily and say is this really true is this really really true do I have the power to do this because of the resurrection of Jesus And this is why we need to pray daily the prayer that Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 17 through 23. And I would highly recommend that you mark this in your Bible, that you memorize this, and that you pray this every day all in all what is jesus over everything what is subject to jesus everything and if you are in jesus what is subject to you everything right we have a resurrection power living in us think about david as a teenager most likely goes up against a seasoned warrior giant why Because David knew his God. David meditated on God's word day and night. And so when this challenge presented itself, he said, oh, I know that God is able to take care of this guy who is blaspheming the name of God. And he went out there and won the victory. Or think about Joshua. He was able to lead the people of God into the promised land against overwhelming odds. Why? Because he knew his God, and he meditated on the truths of God day and night. I want you to listen as I read in Joshua chapter 1, God's command uh, and encouragement to Joshua before he even crossed the Jordan, and even engaged in a single battle. This is God saying, you're going to go, and here's what you need to know. God says this to him, no man... I love that, that's a universal truth, right? That means nobody. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Therefore be strong and courageous, For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law, the Bible, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate On it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. Why? For the Lord your God is with you you wherever you go he goes before you he stands behind you he is all around you do not fear remember this remember this Joshua three times God told Joshua to be strong and courageous one time he told him not to be afraid and that was only possible because twice God said I will be with you I will be with you just like Jesus promised his scared disciples in Matthew chapter 28 I am with you always the letter to the hebrews was written to a group of believers who were experiencing what we might term today as the cancel culture okay uh if you look at the book of hebrews they were experiencing a severe persecution Uh, Here's what the writer says in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 through 36. He says this, But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison "...and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised." They were undergoing intense persecution because of their faith. And they had started out well, and now they were starting to falter. They were starting to lose. They were starting to forget who God was. And if you look through the book of Hebrews, you see that Jesus, it's all about Jesus. Jesus is superior to the Old Testament prophets. Jesus is superior to the angels. Jesus is superior to the, the kings in the, in the Old Testament. Jesus is superior uh, uh, to the Old Testament priests. Jesus is superior to everything and everyone. And they were starting to falter. And here's how the writer ends the letter. In Hebrews chapter 13, verses five and six, we have the same beautiful, wonderful promise that we saw in Matthew 28 and Joshua 1. It says this, God speaking, this is a quote from the Old Testament, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What? What? can man do to me? What can man do to me? Nothing. Once again, let me just stop and ask you, do you get this? Do you get this? Do you understand who Jesus is and the power that is available to you in him? There is no need for fear of the future. He is in control. In fact, in Matthew chapter 6, Verses 25 uh, and following, he, he tackles the things that we worry about the most very often. He says, therefore, uh, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you're going to eat or what you will drink, uh, nor about your body, what you're going to put on. And in verse 32, he says this, your heavenly father knows that you need all of those things. He knows that you need all of them. But you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you i got your back is what god is saying i got your back he knows your physical needs he knows your emotional needs he knows your spiritual needs and he has promised to take care of you all you and i need to do is concern ourselves with promoting and properly representing his kingdom and his righteous standard here on earth that's what we need to concern ourselves with This power, this boldness, this confidence, this removal of fear only comes when you know Him. When you know Him. And the more you know Him, the more your fears, your anxieties, your worries will start to fade away. This is why the Apostle Paul, who is arguably the greatest missionary of all time, declared what his greatest desire is Paul, what is your greatest desire? And in Philippians 3.10, he said this, my greatest desire is that I may know him. That I may know him. Well, you already know him. No, no, no. I want to know him more, more and more that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings. And just previously in verses seven through nine, he said this, but whatever gain I had, Christ, I want to know Christ. I want to be found when he comes. I want to be found in him. Nothing else matters. Status doesn't matter. Jobs don't matter. Family, friends that may reject me don't matter. I just want to be found in him. It's all about knowing Jesus. I am I'm I'm not just talking about knowing facts about Jesus. I'm talking about really, really knowing Jesus. Uh, Being in his word day in and day out. Being in prayer with him, walking with him, talking with him, confessing your, your, your sins and your fears and your anxieties to him and trusting that he would care for you. I remember years ago hearing John Piper talking about the importance of meditating on the word of God. And there's several different ways that you can approach the Bible and, and we need to be engaged in all of them. Just reading through the Bible is a wonderful thing. Just, just reading the story and just getting it and just listening in. Um, also taking some time to study the Bible. Actually, like what does it mean? You know, it, Being engaged in some in-depth Bible study is always very helpful. But another thing that we should also be engaged in is meditating on it. Just taking little phrases in the Bible Verses, maybe little sections, and just meditating and saying, what does this mean? Like what does this what does this mean and how does this apply to me? But John Piper was talking about how he took an hour one day and he he meditated on that simple phrase from Jesus, follow me. Follow me. And he said, for the first half hour, he just he concentrated on that first word, follow. And he's like, okay, what, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, he's, he started to go through all the commands that Jesus gave, that whoever would come after me, let him deny himself and, and take up his cross and follow me. Uh, lose your life. You have to uh, hate father and mother. You have to love me more than them. Uh, you, all these commands. And it's like it was overwhelming until he got to the second word, which was me, me. And when he said, when he got to the second word, it all made sense. And it made the following, hmm, not so much of a chore as it was a delight. Who am I following? Who is this that I'm I'm following? The me made all of the sacrifice of following him worth it. The me, after all, was the king of kings. And the Lord of Lords, the me was the creator and the sustainer of the entire universe, the one who created all the people who are opposed to you, all those people who will one day stand before God. The me was the one who possessed all authority in heaven and on earth and who promised to be with you always. Truly understanding the me, Jesus, makes the following possible. And even brings joy in that following, no matter what the circumstances may be. Truly understanding the me makes going out into all the world without fear possible as well. Truly understanding the me makes it possible to trust him for your future. Truly understanding the me should dispel all fear and anxiety and worry that we may have. Here's the bottom line is that you are right with God. You're right with God. God is with you and God is for you. God is for you. And once again, if God is for us, who in the world can be against us? You were created in his image for his glory. Every physical feature that you have has been ordained by God. You are beautiful in his sight. You Every personality that you have has been provided by God. Every per- personality that God has given us has been provided by God for a purpose. And we're to celebrate these things. And we're not to fear what others may think about us, what others may say about us. I know that that's easier said than done. I know that I uh, personally am, uh, just like many of you, tempted to fear man. I'm tempted to, uh, to think uh, more, uh, to be concerned about what people are thinking about me uh, more than I should. My counsel to you and to myself is that we need to know Jesus. We are, as Paul says, uh, to make full use of the, our time. Uh, in following Jesus and getting to know Jesus because the days are evil. Every day uh, evil pushes its ugly ugly agenda and men, women, and children slip every day into an eternity away from God. We are called by God to get his message of love, his message of forgiveness, his message that he rules the world. We're, We're called to get that out. Will you answer that call? I was listening to a song uh, this week from uh, a 1980s Christian artist. And uh, the lyrics go like this. Where are the heroes now when we need them so desperately? Who will step out from the crowd and be strong enough to lead? Where are the heroes? Where are the heroes? We need heroes of the faith. And I'm going to tell you what. Because Jesus is with us, we are those heroes of the faith. We are. We have been empowered by Him. I read another quote this week that just really kicked me in the gut and is stuck with me. It said this, and I was thinking about the times that we live in and all the the cancel culture and all the persecution uh, that's starting to mount up even more. Um, coming to the United States, it's been all over the world. it said this: this quote. Desperate times call for faithful men, not careful not careful men. Did you hear that? Desperate times call for faithful men, and you can put women in there too. Desperate times call for faithful men and women, not careful men and women. And they went on and said this, The careful men come later, writing the biography, lauding the faithful men for their courage. Careful men and women are usually fearful men and women. Not always, not always, but usually are fearful men and women. Faithful and courageous men and women know their God, trust their God, and follow their God, no matter what the cost. They may end up losing everything in the end, but they look forward. They will make a difference in the world, and they look forward to hearing those amazing words that will come from the mouth of their Lord and Savior one day when he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. I know it's been hard. Enter into the joy of your master. I have prepared this kingdom for you. Enter in. Jesus has risen from the dead. All things are possible for us, his followers. Finally, this is what I want to say. If you're here today and you don't know him, I'm talking truly no, I'm not talking facts about him. All I learned about him in Sunday school, no. If you're here today and you don't know him in a saving way, you can know him. You can know him he is god he is your savior he is your friend and he invites you to come to him all you need to do is reach out to him in faith believing that he is who he says he is that he did what he said he would do and will continue to do namely that he jesus came down to earth and lived the perfect life that you and I were required to live. God has a perfect standard. We must be perfect. If we're going to get into heaven, we have to be absolutely perfect. Not even one little white lie, our whole lives. We have to be perfect. And you're like, impossible. And God says, I know. Let me provide a righteousness for you. And so Jesus came down. He lived the life that you and I were required to live, but couldn't. And then, what did he do? What did we celebrate this past Friday? He went to a cross and was punished for every single sin that you and I ever committed. The father put his son to death. It wasn't the Roman soldiers. It wasn't the Jews. It was the father, according to Isaiah 53, that it pleased the father to bruise him to put his son to death. Why? It was the father standing there and saying, this is for every lie that Jason ever told. This is for every lustful thought that he had. This is for every selfish act that he had. And he brutalized his son. He killed his son to where his son cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And his son was forsaken so that you and I would not be forsaken. The father turned his face away from the son so that the father could turn his face towards us he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we could be the righteousness of God in him that's what this means and how do you receive the righteousness of Jesus how do you receive that perfect righteousness by simply believing by believing and saying This is true. I love you, Jesus. I need your righteousness. I want your righteousness. And what happens is this beautiful double transaction where all of your sin is taken off of you and placed on him and dealt with 2,000 years ago. And all of his righteousness is placed on you. And the father looks at you and says, oh, you are perfect. You're perfect because of what my son has done. If you haven't done that, I urge you, I urge you to do that. Because when you do that, Jesus' perfect life is given to you. You are right with God. God is with you. God is for you. And you have absolutely nothing to fear. I want to close with the words that we quoted earlier from Hebrews chapter 13, verse six. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we need to get this. And I just pray right now. I know that the enemy is present and I know the enemy is like, this is a bunch of garbage. It's not true. You know it's not true. And I pray that you would shut him down. I pray, Lord, that those who are experiencing great fear, great anxiety, great worry right now would know their God. I pray that you would be real to them, that you would come to them, that you would comfort them, that you would strengthen them. And I pray that all of us, your people, would go out with boldness lord that we would be willing and ready to lose it all for the sake of the gospel and hearing those wonderful words well done my good and faithful servant please do this lord help us not to be a standard church help us to uh, to take great sacrifices for the kingdom of heaven and we just pray this in the name of jesus amen